0: Welcome to Radio Tamboa, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Let me draw your attention to Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter two. I am going to read a couple of verses. And then I will try to do a brief exposition of what Paul is writing to the church at Colossae and what that might mean for believers of all times, especially as they live in times of false teachings and spiritual error. This is what the word of the Lord says, Colossians chapter 2, I read from verses 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. In the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let no one disqualify you. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Colossians chapter 2. If I were to summarize this chapter in brief, I would say that Paul's intention of writing to the believers at this church is that they would have their faith in Christ, that they would be firm in Christ, that they would exercise their freedom in Christ, and that they would experience the fullness that is found in Christ in the midst of the false teaching that surrounds them. In other words, I would say that it's a call to faith, firmness, freedom, and fullness in Christ Jesus in the shadow of false teachings. For aware that there are false teachers and deceivers who have come in the congregation at Colossic, Invites these believers to remember the faith that they received when they believed in Christ Jesus, how firm they were in the teachings of the Christian faith. And now in the face of danger, they must continue grounded in their faith. They must continue experiencing their freedom in Christ and let no one take them captive. And they must experience the fullness that is found in Christ and him alone alone. Because once you have received Christ, you do not need anything more. Any other addition is actually an insult to the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. In fact, in Colossians 2 verses 9 and 10, Paul reminds them that for in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells or lives in bodily form... And he says, and you have been given fullness in Christ. He wants them to understand that Christ has become their all in all. And everything they need or will ever need, they must come to Christ for it. Any focus on anything or anyone apart from Christ and his finished work is an insult to the gospel and essentially is false teaching. And it is those foundations that I would like us to begin with tonight. The subject of cults and false teachings cannot be appreciated well unless you begin with the foundation of what Christianity is, what it teaches, what it stands for, and anything that comes against those foundations of the Christian faith is what we call false teaching or cultism. So when we think about foundations, we must be thinking about Christianity and its doctrines those key teachings of the Christian faith that must be true for anyone to be saved or for salvation to be possible. The teachings that ground us in our faith, that guide us in our Christian walk, that guard us in the face of false teaching and error. Those are the teachings that we are talking about. These teachings are established in Scripture, God's unchanging word, the Bible. In fact, from 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, we are reminded that all scripture is inspired by God and is beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable and equipped for every good work. So we start in scripture, we stay in scripture we conclude in Scripture because it is in Scripture that we find everything we need to be equipped for every good work. These essential doctrines of the Christian faith are supplemented by the ancient universal creeds, which kind of summarize the key teachings of Scripture. And I'm sure you already are aware of some of those ancient universal creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Asanasian Creed, and several others. And these are also further accompanied by both traditional and modern confessions and catechisms of our faith. Books such as the Hidobag Confession, the 39 Articles of Religion by the Anglican Church, the Rosan Covenant, the New City Catechism, and many more. And these creeds and catechisms, summarize the teachings of the bible or the doctrines of the christian faith that are foundational for our salvation but please note that these catechisms and creeds do not replace the bible the bible remains supreme and above every other authority what these catechisms and creeds do is that they summarize for us the key teachings of scripture in a way that is sticky that is memorable that is uh, easy to understand and to apply. We must now begin to think, if we are Christians, what are those essential or non-negotiable doctrines of the historical Christian faith, which, if tampered with, can result in false teachings? Now, there are quite a number, but for the sake of tonight, let me just share with you these three. When we talk about non-negotiable doctrines of our faith, or what we call foundational teachings of the Christian faith, we are talking about those teachings that must be true for anyone to be saved. Teachings like the Trinity, the truth that God in His wisdom and majesty has revealed Himself as one being in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each playing a key and critical role in our salvation. And any denial of the Trinity cannot arrive at salvation. We have teachings like Christ's incarnation and his bodily resurrection. The fact that Christ Jesus, who is fully God, has become man and dwelt among us. That this same Christ has risen from the grave, triumphing over the powers of death, conquering sin and Satan, never to die anymore, and applying the benefits of his resurrection to you and I for our salvation. We think about teachings like the inspiration and the authority of Scripture, that apart from Scripture, we cannot even begin to imagine the possibility of salvation, because truth about God, the love of God, the power and majesty of God, his grace and forgiveness are all encapsulated in the teachings of scripture. So any denial of the Bible cannot bring such a person to the knowledge of salvation, at least not wide enough for such a person to place their trust in Christ and receive the salvation that only Christ offers. These are some of the non-negotiables of our faith. And as you will note in our sharing, any tampering, any denial or any distortion or any attempt to doubt or destroy these key teachings results in falsehood, in error, in heresy and people who subscribe to such distorted teachings cannot truly be saved. So what about heresy and false teaching? When we talk about false teaching or heresy, what are we actually talking about? I should let you know right away that the whole New Testament, in fact, every book of the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, warns believers to beware of false teachers and their false teachings, except the book of Philemon. No matter where you look, believers are warned to beware, lest they be deceived. They are warned about false teachers and their false teachings. When we talk about heresy, what are we talking about? Heresy is a teaching which opposes the essentials of the Christian faith, so that true Christians must divide themselves from those who hold it. We have seen some examples of uh, doctrines of the Christian faith. And we are saying that any teaching that opposes, whether directly or indirectly, whether intentionally or otherwise, The essentials of our Christian faith. A teaching that is in error so that true Christians must divide themselves from those who hold it. That teaching is called heresy. And the person who teaches it or advances it is called a heretic. You should also know that from Titus chapter 3 verse 10, the Bible tells us that as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. And this is what heresy does, because the Greek word translated division in that passage in Titus chapter 3 is where we get the English word heresy, meaning a choosing or choice, a self-willed opinion, which is substituted for submission to the power of truth and leads to division or formation of sects. Now, what are some of those types of false teachings that you and I need to know and that we should watch out for as believers? I could give you at least six types of them, even though there is so much more from the scriptures. But some of these types of teachings are in a way that uh, they deny or distort the central teachings of the Christian faith. So for instance, one of them is what we would call the area of Revelation. When we talk about false teachings in the area of Revelation, we are talking about those teachings that distort, deny, or add to scripture in a way that leads people to destruction. So these are teachings that are above and beyond the Bible. They may come in the name of word of knowledge or wisdom, They may come as a vision, or a prophecy, or a dream, or an illumination. But if they distort what the Bible has already said, or they deny, or they add to the scriptures in a way that will harm people spiritually, we can say that that is a false teaching. But this would also be false claims to apostolic or prophetic authority. I am sure that you relate with this very well. We live in an era of a new apostolic and prophetic reformation where we have so many self-styled apostles and prophets all speaking in the name of the Lord but very easily that many of them while claiming to speak for the Lord actually speak things that contradict the teaching of scripture as it is already revealed in the word of God. But area number two is the area of God. What do these preachers or pastors or prophets teach about God? And we are saying that any teaching that promotes false gods would be regarded as one that denies or distorts the teaching of God from the Bible, and therefore it is a category of false teaching. It could be a teaching that promotes false gods or It could be a teaching that promotes dangerous distortions of the true God. Today, we have a number of Celtic groups that claim to believe in the God of the Bible, but they promote distortions of who he is. They may deny the Trinity, for instance, and claim that the God is only one. There is no such a thing as the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have some of those groups that think that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are offices or titles or one person, but that these are not three persons as we find it out in the scriptures. So either they promote a different God or they promote distortions of the one true God. Area number three is about Christ. And we have those teachings that deny the unique lordship of Christ, those which deny his genuine humanity, and his true identity. And we will see a number of Bible passages where we are warned about those who deny or distort the identity of Jesus, either by denying his humanity or his identity as God. But then we have also those distortions about salvation. And you will notice that I am talking about these categories as we saw them are under the foundations of the Christian faith. That the authority of scripture, teachings about God, about Christ, about salvation, all these are non-negotiables of our Christian faith. And anything that tampers with them results in false teaching. So what are those teachings about salvation that would be regarded as false? For instance, teaching about legalism or teaching a license to sin, today, most of Christianity or Christians fall on either of the extremes. Either they are teaching that one can be saved by their good works and they need to work more, maybe pray more or fast more in order to earn their salvation. On the other end of the spectrum, you have people who, yes, believe that we can be saved by grace, but take the teaching of grace beyond where it should be And they make grace a license to sin. I'm sure you have heard some of the Christians who are saying that we have been saved by grace. Jesus paid it all. Now we can do anything we want, when we want, how we want it. Even when we sin, there is no need for repentance because the grace is sufficient. None of these two extremes is right. And therefore, as believers, we must seek to find out the true teaching of scripture concerning salvation. It could also be teachings that deny the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection. I am sure you have heard of people who claim to believe in Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. They agree that he was a good man, a great teacher, but they deny that he died or that he rose from the dead. Such teachings are considered false. But area number five, which is also a non-negotiable, is the church as the body of Christ. And in that area, we have people who deliberately attempt to lead believers away from the fellowship of true Christians, or sometimes they directly or completely reject the church. I am sure you've met some believers who will tell you that for them, they are not religious. They do not want to join any church or denomination. What matters is their relationship with Christ and as long as they have Jesus, they don't care about going to church. Or you have those who are deliberately leading believers away from the gathered assembly of God's people in the name of you no longer need church because after all you are already saved, you are already sent, you are on your way to heaven, you don't need anyone else. And people who teach in these kinds of manner are what we call false teachers. But category number six, before we move on, is the teaching or the area of the future. What a person teaches about the future and the return of Christ can tell you whether this person is a true Bible teacher or a false one. And in this area, we have those who give false predictions claiming to be God's messengers or prophets. And we have so many in our times who have predicted the return of Christ or have predicted the end of the world, claiming that they have received revelation on when Jesus is returning. In the Bible, we even had those who had predicted that Christ had already returned, and such people, Paul, had a rebuke for them. You have those who claim that Christ's return has already taken place, as we have already mentioned. And so these six areas are very, very foundational and fundamental to the Christian faith. That anything that tampers with any of these areas results in misleading or erroneous or false teaching. But moving away from these types of false teaching, we also have what we call enemies of truth. And I want to quickly share with you nine enemies of truth things that you as a Christian should be looking out for. And every time you hear somebody talk about this, you want to quickly find out, are they speaking the truth about these kinds of truth? Are they distorting the scriptures in regard to these things? And these are the nine enemies. One is that we have what we call false gospels. Now, for time's sake, I will not be reading all the Bible passages, even though I certainly would have loved to do so. But I am going to be sharing my outline with uh, Uncle Nesmas and the team. And those of you who need details can always go back, look for these scripture references and read them for yourself. But you will notice that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, Paul warns the Corinthian believers about the danger of being deceived. And one of the things that he mentions is that he is afraid that the Corinthian brothers are turning to a different gospel so he mentions that there is such a thing called a different gospel that is not the one we find in the scriptures and the believers need to be on the lookout for that deception we have the same in galatians chapter 1 verses 6 to 9 where paul says that i am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of christ and are turning to a different gospel or a false Gospel, And he reminds them that the danger of distorting the gospel is so serious that if anyone, even if it is an angel or Paul himself, should preach a different one, he should be accursed. Enemy number two is what we call false doctrines. And from Romans chapter 16, verse 17, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, the apostle Paul talks about false doctrines, their characteristics and dangers and warns believers to be on the lookout. Area number three is one of false miracles. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, Jesus warns of the end times, and he says that false Christs will come and false prophets, and they will perform signs and wonders, if possible, to deceive even the elect. It is interesting that in our day and age, Many believers think that if a person performs miracles and wonders, it is clear evidence that God has sent him. But do you realize that in Matthew 24, Jesus himself is the one who is warning his disciples. And he is saying that false Christs will even have the ability to perform miracles and wonders. Now you understand why Jesus says that you shall know them by their fruit. He could have said you shall know them by their miracles. But what Jesus is saying here is that miracles are not a test case for truth because they can also be performed by false teachers. Area number four is that of false gods, that there is such a thing as gods that contradict the true God of the Bible. And we have warnings in Deuteronomy 13, verse 2, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, where God's people are warned about worship of false gods, which in Exodus is called idolatry. And they are warned about coming even close to any resemblances of God that are formed in the fashion of men. Area number five is that of false Christ. As mentioned in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is the one who who is saying false Christs will come, false prophets will come and they will perform signs and wonders. Number 6 we have false spirits. Again when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 4 you will read here the apostle Paul is warning the believers and he is afraid that they are likely to subscribe to a different spirit. Let me read this quickly and you hear what Paul says. He says that for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And for that, Paul says, I am afraid, I am concerned. In this one passage, he talks about the the reality of false spirits, of false Christs and different gospels. And he warns the Corinthian believers to watch out. Number seven is that of false prophets. And we've already mentioned Matthew 24, 24, which talks about false prophets that perform signs and wonders. But we also have Peter one the believers in 2 Peter chapter 2, where he says that in long ago, in time past, just as there were false prophets, so also false teachers will arise. So in that one verse of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Peter mentions the presence of false prophets and false teachers who teach destructive heresies and whose judgment is waiting for them. Area number eight is that of false apostles. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. He talks of men who were deceiving and distorting the gospel truth for the Corinthian believers. And he says that for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. On the outside, they look like apostles of Christ. They look like they are genuine and sincere. They even speak well. They are great communicators. They have memorized and crammed several Bible passages. When they speak them out, you might be tempted to think that you are in the face of scholars. But actually, in reality, they are deceitful workers. They are false apostles. They are in disguise, but they are actually not apostles of Christ. Area number nine, which we end with, is that of the false teachers. And again, we have already mentioned them in 2 Peter chapter 2, about false teachers who bring in destructive heresies. Now, moving away from those nine enemies of truth, let's bring it down to more specific examples. And since we live in an age of false prophets, Let's take a moment to think about false prophets. And you will notice that scripture often warns against false prophets and false teachers for the simple reason that God's own people can be deceived. And that is why the Bible instructs believers to test those who claim to be prophets and are not. If you read Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, Jesus warns his disciples and he says, Watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And the reason he calls his followers to attention, to watch out, to be attentive, to be alert, to be on the lookout, it is because false prophets are always not easy to identify. They disguise themselves as messengers of God. On the outside, they look like innocent, gentle sheep. But on the inside, they are actually ravenous wolves that are looking for someone to devour. And as believers, we are instructed to test anyone who claims to be a prophet so that we can find out for ourselves whether they are really men sent by God or not. So the question is, how can believers recognize or identify a false prophet and be able to differentiate him from those who claim to be, but actually are not. Here are some of the signs that you can look out for. Deuteronomy 18, 21 to 22 tells us that false prophets make predictions that are not fulfilled. Listen to what Deuteronomy 18, verses 21 to 22 says. That if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. The people ask Moses, You are telling us to beware of false prophets and stay away from them. But how shall we know whether they are true or false since they look alike? And Moses says that one of the ways in which God's people can identify them is if they make predictions that do not come true. And if their predictions don't come to pass, it does not matter what excuse they put up. Moses says, simply disregard them. God has not said such. But number two, False prophets sometimes entice people to follow false gods and idols. We read that in Exodus chapter 20, where we find the Ten Commandments. But we also read that in Deuteronomy 13, another test of a false prophet, is that while they may predict certain things and they even come to pass, at the same time, they will teach a version of a different God. Here, what Moses says in Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 to 3. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul. In other words, Moses is saying that sometimes a prophet might even say, predict things and they will come to pass. That he might even pray for you when you are sick and you will be healed by the way. But Moses says that's not good enough. If he goes on and he says, let's go and serve or follow after other gods, that's an indicator that God has not sent that man. Remember that even false prophets can perform miracles. Remember that they can also predict certain things using the power of Satan. And that's why Moses says that you must go further and test them on their doctrine concerning God. Do they actually preach the true God of the Bible? Or do they call you to swerve from the true God of the Bible to other gods? Number three is that false prophets often deny the true deity of Christ. And we have read some of that in Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where believers are being led away into empty and hollow philosophy rather than on the true Christ as revealed in the scriptures. What a man teaches about Christ will tell you whether they really live for Christ or not. Many of the prophets will perform miracles, they will speak in tongues, they will even preach with vigor, and they will inspire you in terms of communication. But the question is, what do they teach about Christ? Do they faithfully and fearfully proclaim the Christ of the scriptures? Or do they have another version of Christ that closely looks like the one of the Bible, but actually is not? Number five is that false prophets sometimes deny the humanity of Jesus. They will proclaim him as a God, they will proclaim him as a spirit being, they will create, proclaim him as a divine son of God. But if they deny his humanity, you know that there is a problem. And we read that in first John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where John calls upon the believers and he says, Beloved, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. In verse 2, he says that by this you know the spirit of God. How do you know the spirit of God? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Do you hear that, brothers and sisters? That if you want to know that the Holy Spirit is really at work in a certain man or prophet, is that that prophet must acknowledge that Jesus Christ was human just as he was fully God. And if he denies the humanity of God, such is a false prophet speaking by a false spirit and therefore should be disregarded. Number six is that false prophets sometimes promote legalism. For instance, they will teach you to abstain from certain foods for spiritual reasons. In 1 Timothy 3, Verses 3 and 4, we read about Paul warning Timothy about the last days, how they will be characterized by men with dead consciences. Under the inspiration of demonic spirits, they will be teaching demonic teachings. And among those demonic teachings is that they deny God's people from enjoying marriage and also certain foods that God has given his people that are to be received with thanksgiving. One of the signs that somebody has moved away from the gospel of God's grace is when they begin to add on the gospel many rules and regulations, and usually they bring them in the name of revelation. The Lord is telling me that you need to fast without any food or water for the next 120 days. The Lord is telling me that you must pray while you are facing this particular direction. The Lord is telling me that you must wake up and pray at 3 a.m. or otherwise your prayers will not be heard. When you begin to hear people who bring in rules and regulations above and beyond the teaching of scripture, wrapped up in the excuse of revelation or a dream or a prophecy, you know that it's time to run as far as your legs can take you. Because the promotion of legalism, Against the grace of God as revealed in the gospel is one clear sign that such a person is a false prophet or a false teacher. Let me quickly run to the last one, that false prophets often promote various forms of immorality. Like someone has said that they preach water and drink wine. While they tell God's people to fast, they do not do it. While they tell people, God's people to pray, they actually do not pray. When they call God's people to godliness and righteous living, they actually indulge in the pleasures of the world and of the flesh. And when there is a discrepancy between their beliefs and their behavior, you know that there is a big problem. And that's why Jesus in Matthew 7 said that you shall know them by their fruit, not just by their gifts. It is not speaking in tongues that makes one an anointed man of God. It is not even performing miracles that makes one so, but obedience to the teaching of scripture. And that is why in Matthew 7, from verses 21 to 22, Jesus warned saying that they shall come to me on that day, and they will say, Lord, we performed miracles in your name, but he will tell them, go away from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Yes, they performed miracles. Yes, they chased demons, but they never obeyed the word of God. And therefore, Jesus disowns them. Very important to understand. In summary, if a so-called prophet says anything that clearly contradicts any part of God's word, his teachings should be rejected because scripture is our measurement of truth. In fact, scripture is the ultimate test that exposes error and therefore anything that stampers with scripture or denies its teaching or distorts it in any certain way must be watched out for and quickly rejected now i know you are there and you are perhaps wondering you are saying we hear what you are saying we appreciate the characteristics and the way you are identifying these false teachers But if people really know these things, why is it that they end up in cultic groups and false religious groups? You would think that these things, these warnings in scripture are so obvious that no one would actually become a victim of cults. So the question I want to answer is, how do cultic groups convert and keep their members in error even though they are already danger signs that actually what they are doing is wrong or is unbiblical. Why is it that people find it easy to join themselves to false teachers and their false teaching? Well, quickly let me say that there are two interacting forces that are responsible for this. Number one is the tactics that the group uses to recruit, to convert, or condition, or hold its members. That in a group uh, that is Celtic. There will always be some tactics that the leadership is using to convince and convert people into their group. It may be financial incentives that they are giving those who join. It may be promises of a better future that they will receive if they come to their church. The pastor claiming to be a prophet might even use prophecy to tell them that God has revealed to him that such people should join his church, otherwise they will die in the next six months. Using manipulation tactics and blackmail, they bring people into their ranks. But also, we must look at the personal vulnerabilities of the people who join these cultic groups, that sometimes When people are vulnerable or are going through situations that make them vulnerable to error, anything that looks like a promise of hope is likely to convince them and sway them to join a certain group or church. For instance, a person might be going through an emotional crisis. Maybe they've recently lost a loved one. And this prophet comes and visits them during the vigil or their grieving period. And he shows them love. He brings them foodstuffs. He makes them feel like they matter. He gives them some hope that they were beginning to lose. And somehow they feel that they owe this person because of how he connected with them when they were in a moment of crisis. And out of that, they are likely to follow this man or prophet into his church. It could be a desire to be loved. Maybe they have always felt less valued or loved by the people around them. And these church members from a certain church have come and have loved them more than their mother has ever loved them. And because of that, they easily follow and join this church. And there are several reasons as to why many people may join a certain group or a certain church. Not necessarily because it teaches the truth, but because there are other incentives they have been given that pull them into the ranks of the group but on the other hand there is something that at ACFA we call the ddd syndrome or what i would call the 3d syndrome that behind the recruitment of members into a cultic group is are these three d's d number one is what we call deception that involves making false promises hiding the true identity of the church or suppressing information a group will come and knock on your door They will claim they are coming to teach you the true gospel of Christ. They may give you promises about what you will receive when you join their church. They may suppress information of the bad things that their church is known for. And so you may enter thinking it's an innocent true church, only later to discover that they actually had skeletons they were hiding in their closet. But at the time of recruitment, they never told you about some of their beliefs, or some of the information about their group that was damaging or was biblical Deception, they give you a big smile as you enter into the front door, but what you don't know is that in the back door there are a number of things that would make you run if you knew about them. Number two is that of dependence, that they will alienate you from your family members or critical voices in a way that the only family you now have is that group. In some of these churches, you are not even allowed to make phone calls to your family members who are not members. They might send you into another country as a missionary and make sure that you do not have a connection with your loved ones who would give you emotional support. So when people you love and know have been cut off from you, you are forced to connect with the people within that group. And then once you have been de- become dependent on the group, it becomes very difficult for you to live, even though later you actually realize that what they are teaching may not be true. But number three is that of dread, that sometimes people are held in a cultic group because of the fear that they will be spiritually and socially doomed if they leave the group. Did you know that there are some groups and churches that teach that your salvation is tied with the group and if you leave the group you cannot be saved jesus is only saving people through their church it is the only church that knows has salvation and therefore if you do not come and remain in their church you cannot be saved and groups like those will cause people to fear because they are afraid that if they ever turn their back on that church or that group or that fellowship then they are in danger of losing their salvation. Now remember what we said, that heresy is a false teaching that denies or distorts the central doctrine of the Christian faith. And now we are saying that when heresy becomes organized, then one has all the markings of a cult or a cultic group. When we talk about cultic groups, we are talking about heretic movements. Those groups that teach teachings which contradicts the clear teaching of the Bible, especially in comparison with the central doctrines of our historic Christian faith. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we are to be equipped as saints for the work of the ministry, for the building of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And when we are equipped like this, when we are grounded in biblical truth and we are growing in God's grace as we exercise the gifts he has given us, he tells us that as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by their craftiness, in deceitful scheming that mature people in the faith who are grounded in biblical truth will not only grow in god's grace but will be able to discern truth from error and therefore be able to guard their faith the apostle peter warns us in his second episode saying that we are to be aware of those who are untaught who are unstable the unscrupulous he says that you therefore beloved Knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away and lose your own firm commitment and instead you are to grow in God's grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The danger of false teaching is real. False teachers and their teachings are among us whether we like to believe it or not. And now more than ever before, The Bible calls us to be discerning believers, men and women who have the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error, of separating right from wrong. Because only as we identify and recognize error are we able to guard ourselves against that error and to stay firm for the faith, to enjoy the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. And to live in the fullness that is found in Christ Jesus. The writer of Hebrews calls us to be believers who distinguish between good and evil. And he says that solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. First Thessalonians five nineteen to twenty two calls us to to examine everything, to hold that which is good and to abstain from every form of evil. In other words, the Bible is saying that the antidote to deception or the medicine for deception is discernment. That when we are able to distinguish truth from error, right from wrong, we are able to detect the deception before we become captives or victims, and then we are able to shun deception and defend our faith from it. For us to enjoy our freedom in Christ, To make sure that we are not taken captive by the schemes of the evil one. We must be men grounded in truth. Men growing in God's grace. Men and women guarding the faith. And we should remember conclusively that God is spirit. And those who worship him are called to worship God in spirit and in truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Brothers, as we get grounded in the scriptures, my prayer for you is that you would not only know the truth of the scriptures, but that you would also develop yourself in biblical discernment, being able to identify falsehood from what is true, that you may not be taken captive by the schemes of Satan and the evil one. May God bless you tonight as you reflect on these truths and as you look forward to continuing with us tomorrow. My prayer for you is that you will continue to have a hunger to grow in God's word, to be grounded in God's truth, and to stand firm for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. May God bless you so much. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.